0: Please open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 13, let me get my notes right. Somehow, some way, okay, I got it. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11 as we come back into the study of this book about end times. The book of Revelation is a book that is telling us future events. That God is allowing us to see that this is where the world is going. And there aren't a lot of exhortations in this book. I could say almost there's really none that are like love and do this or do that. But it's a book of understanding. And as we've been taking this approach of studying this book and maybe not as going as much detail as I normally do. I know that I'm gonna take this week and next week to do a little more time on this because of the passage that we're coming to today because the passage that we're coming to is the is a passage about the false prophet. Let me read verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spoke as a dragon. We're gonna see this is one of the most evil people who have ever lived or will ever live. He's the false prophet and I'll be explaining that expression here in a bit and I'm excited about this study as we continue to get our arms around the seven-year tribulation that God is bringing upon the world a world that basically has said we don't want you God I mean that's the reality and we must always remember that the world has said we don't want you God But here is a kicker that you must always remember. The world does not say we don't want religion. The world will always have religion, but they will not have religion where it is specific to the type that our God wants. Our God wants a specific type of religion, and it's very narrow, and we must always remember that. So as we come to this text, i got to tell you, I'm really excited about studying this passage because I started thinking about the fact, why am I so excited about this text? And I just thought, well, to summarize, number one, it's God's word. And every time we come to open up our Bibles, I hope that is a mindset that you have, that this is an extraordinary book. This 66 books that we have, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament books Are God's word and it's his revelation to us. And it is understandable from Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament, you know, the stories and numbers or even Leviticus. Then you go to the Psalms and the Proverbs, all the way into the New Testament gospels and the epistles. And you can come to this book and you can understand it. We call ourselves with the tagline here at Christian Fellowship Church, Hammond's Bible Church. Because we want to be known as a church that emphasizes God's word. And if that is true of us as a church, I'm hoping it's true of us individually. I'm begging you to regularly be feeding on the word of God. Use that expression, you are what you eat. If you come on a Sunday morning and you read your Bible, bring your Bible, and then put it on a shelf for the other six days of the week, that is not good. You need to be regularly reading the word of God. It has to be a part of your life. In your bulletins this morning, I put something that I thought was really interesting. I put a checklist. I think it says survey, but it's really a checklist. And I I came across this, and I'll tell you the reason how I came across it this week. Um, I thought this would be really interesting because we're going through this planning for our church, and we're working on how we deal with visitors and I was talking to a good friend of mine who's a pastor and somebody came and visited his church and they evaluated his church and they said well we're never coming back to that church why aren't you coming back well the reasons they weren't coming back were so superficial and here I came across this after my conversation with him because he was really hurt and this is a checklist it's use discernment when visiting other churches Well, I don't know if you're ever going to move out of our area or if you're going to maybe know somebody that's visiting a church. This is something I ran across that goes through what is the music like, the overall service, the attitude. Is there a call to worship? Is the Bible used? This is one of the best checklists I've ever seen on how to discern whether a church is biblical or not. This is how you rate a church if you were visiting a church. And so we're gonna include this in our visitor list because we recognize people come and what happened to my pastor friend this week is something that happens here where people will say, I just don't feel it. I don't feel it. Well, the reality of it is, is often people come and they rely on feelings, not on discernment, not on wisdom, not on God's word. And I just gotta tell you, I was incredibly impressed this is a checklist, that I ran across this, and I can't find who originated That's why I didn't cite it. And I even went back, and I've looked through my history. I can't even find it in my history, but it's biblical. There's biblical references on that list. Go through it and be encouraged. If you're a regular attender of Christian Fellowship Church, this is just a great affirmation of what we do. And, and so I was incredibly blessed by that and I'm hoping and hoping that people who visit our church when they receive it in the mail will say wait a second maybe they'll open up their bibles and start to say this is exactly the way to look at evaluating and looking at a church whether we should attend it or not obviously you know if people come and they're not believers they're not going to have that mindset and so we got to get people saved as well but be encouraged and look at that list. So take the time. So it's God's word. That's why I'm excited about this study. But the second thing I'm excited about this study is this passage really educates us about the false prophets so we can understand how Satan attacks. Verse 11, you see when he says, I saw another beast. We have been talking about how the Antichrist is described in the first part of chapter 13 with the expression that he's called a beast. He's a ferocious animal. And I said that these references a beast primarily refer to him. And even here, it's kind of a referral to him, but it's another beast. The word there, another in Greek is one of a similar kind. And the idea of a ferocious beast is that it is something that is going to bring terror on people. And that is who we see with this one that is called the false prophet. Now, he's not going to be called the false prophet here. But if you go over to chapter 16, verse, uh, where is it? Chapter 16, um, verse 13. This is when, getting close to when you have the Battle of Armageddon. They're going The incident that Carl talked about when they're thrown into the lake of fire. He says in the Battle of Armageddon in Revelation um, 16, verse 13. It says, "And I saw it coming out of the mouth of the dragon, which we know is Satan. And out of the mouth of the beast... Um, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, here is where he's explicitly called the false prophet. He'll be called that again later on. The title is one that is teaching lies. A prophet is supposed to be someone that teaches truth. And this one that we see, I believe, in a unholy trinity is the spokesman for the Antichrist. And as we come back to Revelation 13, I want you to understand my excitement for studying this to understand the false prophet is that we're looking at perhaps one of the most evil men that will ever, ever operate on earth. If I were to ask you who are the most evil people that you know in history, you'd say, oh man, Hitler, Stalin, Mao. I think Stalin killed something like 80 million people through his persecutions. It's an incredible number. Do you know when it's all said and done those guys will look like you know amateurs compared to this guy. This guy is responsible for killing billions. Billions. Because he's gonna go hand in hand with the Antichrist. And as we said, the sealed judgments, one-fourth of the world dies. It's over two billion people. Through the trumpet judgments, over one-third of the world dies. That's over another 2 billion, maybe 2.5 billion people. And then we know that when it's all said and done, almost the entire world dies. How many billions of people this guy kills is responsible not only for their physical death, but for sending them to hell. He's a false prophet. And so what I want us to understand is how he operates. And this text helps us understand it, which takes us really to this is the reason I get excited is it drives us to read our Bibles and study on our own. Because like I said, there's not these exhortations, oh, I love somebody or you know, go out and do something specific like so many other epistles what we're learning through the book of revelation where a lot of people say well it's just about future stuff it has nothing to do with me like last week we studied about how relentless satan is and we saw him kicked out of heaven and you'd say wow satan there's been nothing but defeat in your life you have just been lo- a loser 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 you know big big L satan you've lost you lost you lost stop but instead satan is Y'all know the word, relentless. And we learned that instead of saying, you know, Michael and his angels they kicked me out of heaven, I'm done, I'm going. He comes to Earth, empowers the Antichrist, and works on killing the majority of people, killing the majority of people. You would think he'd stop, but he's relentless. So how does that apply for you and me? Well, last week for those of you who are here, I encouraged you put on the armor of God. That tells us that we fight against Satan today. That there's a hierarchy of demons that are active, who are cognizant, who are aware of what you do. They know that all of a sudden you've had a problem. That you're a little tired. That maybe you're a little bitter about something. Maybe things aren't going well in your marriage. And all of a sudden, an ad pops up on the internet. Or some type of offer to, you know... Get discount alcohol or something. Whoever it is, something for you to slip up, and it's there. And it looks like it's just happenstance. We, have all people, should not be blind to the reality that Satan is aggressive. And in this text today, what we're learning is where Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 7 to be aware of false teachers... It t- drives us to understand the only way to be a false teacher. How? Is to know truth. The Bible tells us in the New Testament 26 out of the 27 New Testament t- books have a warning about false teachers. Yet, most churches, you bring up false teaching, and it's if you're just nothing but a critical, negative individual. Now, I know I gotta preach and teach it in a loving, kind way but I'm just trying to get you to be cognizant, aware that when we study this passage about this false prophet, it is the epitome of what Satan has been trying to do all throughout human history. And what he continually wants to do is to bring up false teaching, not stop people from worshiping, but bring up teaching that's a lie, often a counterfeit. And we'll talk about that as we move through this. My hope, my desire is that there is something inside you saying, I am going to commit to a regular daily reading plan because I need to be continually put before me the word of God. And it is absolute arrogance on anyone's part to think that you can battle without this. I just want you to know, I would be personally chewed up how often I am so blessed by reading God's word and it continually keeps before me just the tr- whatever truth, whatever reality, however, because this is a world filled with temptations and I am a human and I am like you and I am weak and I get hungry and I get frustrated and I, and, and, and I can all of a sudden easily lose my way and I... I'm just so thankful that it is now a regular practice of mine to just wake up and get that Bible out and read it every morning and to pray. And I need that. And you need that. And I think when you see what the false prophet does, the world is going to be deceived by him. And the people of the world will have the Bibles. If the church of Jesus Christ is gone and it's raptured, they'll have the Bibles, but they'll reject the Bible. And they could combat this guy but they won't false teaching false prophets can be beat with the word of god and i want you to remember that watch as we go through this text so as we come to revelation chapter 13 if you're visiting with us and you haven't been with us we've been studying the book of revelation it is a seven year period that primarily is the focus of this book From chapters 4 to really chapter 20, it takes us into eternity. But there is a seven-year tribulation that we have studied that is clear. It is going to come as God finally is going to tell mankind, look, you don't want me. This is a world without me. And chapters 6 through 19 tell us how this plays out. There are three set of judgments, seal judgments, trumpet judgments, bowl judgments. As we come to this chapter here in chapter 13, we are in a section of Scripture that is focusing on the second half of the seven-year tribulation. How do we know that? Well, we have been playing it out, and we recognize that there's an emphasis from chapter 11 on To talk about three and a half years, three and a half years, three and a half years. What happened in chapter 10 was significant. For those of you who have been here, I know this is repeat, but you cannot, you cannot forget that in chapter 10, John was given a little book, which is, we believe, the entire second half of the tribulation. Prior to that, he's been given visions that he's sequentially getting. But when he comes to chapter 10, he's given a little book that allows him to say, oh, I've got this book, and now I can just page through the whole thing, and I can tell you about the two witnesses that will be God's witnesses on earth. And he describes their activity throughout the entire second half. And he mentions three and a half years for what they do. When we come to chapters 12 and 14, this is a continuation of this. And you look at the back of your sermon notes. On the back of your sermon notes, it says the cast of characters. Because what John is doing is in chapters 12, 13, and 14, he's telling the story even with some historical reference, how Satan has been trying to stop God's plan of wiping out Israel, by by wiping out Israel, wiping out Jesus Christ, wiping out every believer, killing every human being. And chapters 12, 13, and 14 will tell the story of how Satan works through the Antichrist, and in the end, he will lose. and, And that's what chapters 12, 13, and 14 do. Chapter 15, 16 is going to tell us about the end uh, with the bull judgments. Chapter 17 and 18 are going to tell us about how the Babylon is going to play its part in the second half as well. So these characters that we have seen, you go up to chapter 12, verse 1, started with a woman clothed with the sun, and it was symbolic of the fact of Israel. And the way you look at chapter 12, verse 1, it says a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. And if you weren't with us, I would encourage you to go back, listen to the podcast, look at the YouTube video. We tied it into the Old Testament passages that validated that this is the nation of Israel. God is using the book of Revelation to challenge you. Why is he challenging you? Is because we know how many verses are quoted from the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. The answer is zero. You do not find one quote from the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. But for those of you who regularly attend here, you were given a PDF at the beginning of our study. It was by a man who went through every verse of Revelation and he tied in not 10, not 20, not 100, but 500 references to the Old Testament. This book of Revelation is a book that calls you to know your Bible because it pulls everything together. No wonder, and I say this humbly, so many, I think, pastors that have told their congregation, we're not going to teach Revelation because you can't understand it. It's, It's just too hard. It's too controversial. The reason is, is because most of them do not care to know even their own Bibles because this book, I believe, is understandable. Yes, we may come and we may not understand some precision and we've just got to say to to a certain extent look I know the antichrist is going to be like this but I can't tell you exactly how tall he is or something like that I can give you some parameters but at the same time I don't have to ever come to you and say book of revelation it's over my head too much you're going to see as we come again today that this is understandable and so I told you we're going to take two weeks on this false prophet because he is important. He is someone that you need to understand. Understand so that you can defeat his methodology today because the world is filled with false teachers. The world is filled with false prophets. You see that all the time. Even this morning's newspaper, it was left me numb. Maybe I'll talk about that as we go through. So what we're going to do here, what we're going to do is we're going to work through seven Um, five five different key attributes over the next two weeks. We're going to get through four of them today. The fifth one is, is more elaborate. And the reason I want to do this, go through this a little bit slower, is because so much of what is associated with the Antichrist, the making of an image... controlling buying and selling for those of you who know your end times theology you know how the antichrist is going to control all end time buying and selling this mark of the beast you know the 666 how many people of you really associate and understand it's dealing with this false prophet it all comes from the false prophet and i want to keep that before you it's the false prophet who who works to support the antichrist in the mark and the number all right so i hope that piques your interest. So we're just going to go through these characteristics today, four of them out of the five. And then the fifth one is going to be more detailed next week. So verse 11, then I saw another beast coming out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spoke as a dragon. Here's what we go. Fill in the blank. He will be a dragon in sheep's clothing. Now, some of you know that there is an expression, a wolf in sheep's clothing. It is, I thought, kind of humorous. Dragon and dragon in Sheep's clothing, because the dragon is worse. You see, he says, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. He looks like a sheep. He looks like a sheep, and he's got two horns. So let's understand this. First of all, when he comes out of the earth, what is the significance of that? Well, again, commentator after commentator who's dealt with old time his- historical. Um, literature for medieval people, old times people, the reality was something coming out of the sea was a deep sea monster. And it was far scarier, far far scarier to have a beast come out of the sea. And there's writings, they talk about things coming out of the sea. And it's no accident, where did the Antichrist come from? The Antichrist, if you look at chapter 13, verse 1, John sees the dragon standing on the sea of the seashore, and he saw a beast coming out of the sea. And we said that the sea is a metaphor for the satanic activity. So again, go back to the podcast, because I'm not going to reiterate all of that. But here, now we have one coming out of the earth. What's the significance? Well, the earth is nicer. It's not as bad. It's not as scary. It's coming out of the earth. And it fits with the fact that he is one that looks like a lamb. How many horns does he have? He has two. Remember, horns denote power. We did a study on that one as well. So these aren't things that you just have to guess at. These are things that scripture were explicit talking about kings and power. And he only has two. And they're small, right? Doesn't it say? It says he had two horns. Okay, not small. It says it's just two. He has two. Well, two, he's powerful, but he's not like powerful like the Antichrist. He's going to come in like a lamb. He is, what Jesus warns about, is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Those are not my words. Those are Jesus' words. Jesus talked about being aware that false teachers come in like lambs. They come in like they care for you. They look like they are going to be nice. They are going to be helpful. They're going to be beneficial. They're going to be religious. But what they're going to do is they're going to be traitorous. You see, when I think about what is so bad about a wolf in sheep's clothing, a wolf in sheep's clothing is someone that basically, if I put it out there, is someone that has hidden intentions and they're not good. You know, it's not good. No father wants his daughter to go out and date somebody and they come with the full intention that they're going to sexually abuse your daughter that night. And when, you know, and 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 you know, it's horrific when someone comes and they act as if they're nice, and they act as if they're on your side, and they act as if they're going to be with you. What is the horrific problem with a wolf in sheep's clothing? Well, think about it. Let's all pretend. Let's put on our sheep hat. If we were sheep and a shepherd was taking care of us and he's taken us out into the, into the field and a new sheep comes in and we're going to ha- be happy to see him. We're going to make sure that he gets food. We're going to care for him because he's one of ours and we're going to make sure he gets water. And when the shepherd is out there trying to protect us, maybe we would all huddle together because we want to protect that one. How horrific it would be if all of a sudden in the midst of the night, he decides to pull one of us aside and then decides to Take a bite out of us and eat us. And he thought, in the initial part before you die, you'd say, but I thought you were one of us. I thought you were gonna be here for us. Well, that's the reality of what, uh, uh, the horrendous nature of a false teacher. And again, I can't emphasize enough how false teaching is emphasized over and over and over because God is constantly aware, Satan's main is false teaching. The continual reminder to you that really it doesn't matter. We're all okay. It's all, as long as we're all going to the same religion. One of the things I do often when I meet someone and I present the gospel to them, and when I share to them, you know, um, the gospel, and I, I ask, what do they believe? And I can't tell you how many times people will say, well, yeah, you, you know, I believe you got to believe in God, and and I'll say, well, does it matter what God you believe in? They'll tell me often, no, no, it doesn't matter. You can believe in Muhammad. you can believe in, um, and 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 Buddha. It doesn't matter what God you believe in. Well, that's a lie, people. And this one is going to be a lamb, but he's going to speak like a dragon. And we've seen that the dragon is filled with. Blasphemies. we saw that earlier in the chapter, lies about God. So here he's a dragon in clothing, uh, sheep's clothing. And verse 12, it says, he exercises the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. Remember, Antichrist gets apparently killed. We don't know how he's gonna actually pull it off. We went into some of the detail, but it's gonna, that he's had a resurrection like jesus but it's going to be what's interesting here is he exercises all the authority of the first beast well the first beast was given all the authority from the dragon and the dragon is satan and the word that you're filling in the blank with is trinity and for those of you know your theology we believe that there is a trinity in our godhead The word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible. Some people will say, well, that means it's not in there. But the reality of it is, is that we believe that there are passages that clearly teach there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. And when you look at the Trinity, you recognize there's an order within the Trinity, how God the Father sends the Son, and how the Son is supported by the Spirit. and The Spirit points everybody to Jesus. Well, here what you have is an unholy Trinity, Because the authority of the dragon is flowing through the Antichrist down into this one, who is going to have the spirit of the Antichrist that is going to support people to worship Satan. And how people are going to be so twisted and so utterly, utterly clear that they are worshiping Satan is beyond me. Now, again... My one thought is that there, there is the exposure that I've been given over the last 20 years that there are people who sincerely believe in the Garden of Eden that Lucifer was the good God. He was inf- offering information to Adam and Eve and when, when Adam and Eve got that information from Lucifer, Jesus got snotty and Jesus and God the Father all had a, a little hissy fit and they kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. And ever since then, the good God, Satan, Lucifer, has been trying to get information back to them. I don't know if that's gonna, how it's going to play out or not. All I know is that people are going to be so warped during this time, there's going to be an outright worship of one who is a liar. And let me just tell you in that scenario, the whole point is that when Satan gave Adam and Eve information, he knew it would kill him, and he could care less. He just wants the worship. He wants the allegiance, and he is not a good God, small G, in any way, shape, or form. So, verse twelve, he exercises all the authority of the first, the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in the worship it, dwell in it worship the first beast. So, there's going to be a pointing, just like the Holy Spirit points people to Jesus. He's going to point people to the Antichrist, who's then pointing people to Satan. Now, what is this? I think if I am trying to learn how this impacts my life today, I write the word counterfeit down. And I learn that the one thing that I'm watching over and over and over is not not how Satan emphasizes over and over no religion, but he emphasizes a counterfeit. And this has been a constant theme ever since I became a believer that the reality of it is is that there is not a denial of religion in this world, but there is a counterfeit. And it's been emphasized to me that if you were going to keep people from heaven, you do not tell them there is no God. You tell them something about God that's a lie. So they think that they are following God, but in actuality, they are going to go far from God with whatever they believe. And that is hard because that is so sad. And the reality of it is, and the hurt is, is that they are very, very deceptive. And keep that in the back of your mind. Okay, so then we're going to jump to this fact here that they will have supernatural powers to deceive. Look at verse 13, and he performs great signs so that even he makes fire to come down out of heaven to, in the earth in the presence of men. And here's our key word, he deceives those who dwell on the earth. Remember that expression, those who dwell on the earth, is used throughout the book of Revelation to describe the majority of people on the earth as unbelievers. So he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs that was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. So what you have here is that he's performing these great signs. It has been written about that the signs that he's able to perform are miraculous, far more than the Egyptian false teachers who were able to make snakes eat, uh, you know, staffs turn into snakes and, 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 and to do incredible works. People, we do live in a supernatural world. It is incredible the demonic powers that are out there. This one is going to be given the ultimate power. Remember I talked about the two witnesses. The two witnesses from chapter 11, the good guys, are able to make fire come down out of heaven. This guy is able to make f- fire come out of heaven. So he's going to say, look, I've got power too. One of the things that you've got to recognize over and over and over is Satan's ability to counterfeit. Counterfeit, counterfeit, counterfeit. He is going to mock the trinity he's going to parody the trinity and now the spokesman is going to act as if he has the ability to bring about bring about supernatural powers because god is on his side why does god let this happen remember this is a judgment the world has said you know, we don't need God. And and we don't need to have God change our life and interact with our life. We don't need his ways. So God is finally saying, fine, you want a world without me? Fine. And now God is allowing this one. He is been given this. And this is hard for people to grasp. That finally, uh, there comes a time when God gives people over, and he's going to give the world over. And the way he gives the world over is he gives this false prophet the ability to do this magical stuff. It is magical. And it's terrifying. And it's deceptive. And I hate deception. And one of the things that makes false teaching so bad is its results. And I don't think there is a better illustration of this that I hope will always be indelibly impressed upon you. If you'll turn back to the very last few days of Jesus' life, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 23. In Matthew chapter 23, there is perhaps no greater rebuke of false teachers than what Jesus gives when he gives, I think it's called the eight woes. This is a passage you should all think about, and I just want to look at just a few, the first two that really stand out to me. In Matthew 23... Remember, Jesus knows he's going to die in a day or two. Jesus has been trying lovingly and kindly to tell people that he's the Savior. And, and, and they have this. The, the, the false teachers of the day have decided they're going to kill Jesus. And Jesus didn't take it passively. This is an open public rebuke where he is just, in, I believe, in pain. You talk about trying to understand the heart of things, as Carl was alluding to earlier. You understand the heart of Jesus when he says this you got to understand, he knows who he is. And he's standing before these false teachers. And he says in verse 13, but woe to you. Can you imagine saying this right into somebody's face? Woe to you. Woe is a strong thing. We've seen woes in the book of Revelation when it talks about the incredible judgments. So he says, woe to you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites! What is a hypocrite? Oh, a hypocrite is a wolf in sheep's clothing. One that looks like it's there for good, but it is not. He has a false intention. So he says, woe to you because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter it in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to enter in. We must understand false teachers, false teachers, people, every religious group that denies the gospel that we teach at this church, Faith alone, in Christ alone, who's God and man, who died on the cross and rose again. Everybody that denies that is a false teacher. And Jesus here is saying, you do not enter in, but you don't let other people enter in. That is, that is something that is inconceivable to me, what, that you would not want people to go to heaven. You are so sold out into your false teaching that you would willingly let children teenagers, young adults, elderly people, all go to hell because you are lying to them. Verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land and make one proselyte, and a proselyte is a convert, and you make one twice as a son of hell as yourself, you should star this Bible. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Why is it one of mine? Because this tells me how important it is to get good teaching out. You see, when, when he says, you become twice a son of hell, what does it mean to become twice the son of hell? Does that mean you go to hell and the flames get turned up? No, no. What that is talking about is when someone gets false teaching, let's say somebody grows up in a church that teaches lies. And all of a sudden now they're exposed to the truth. What they're going to do is say, well, no, I, I grew up in this church and I, and I know what they've told me and they told me that Jesus isn't God and they told me that my baptism saves and I'm going to hold on to that because that's what I always do. It's my mother told me, my grandmother told me, and we've always gone to this church, and my family's always gone to this church. That's what it means to be a son, twice the son of hell. Not only are you committed to not honoring God, you're committed to your false teaching. So you're committed to your sin, and then you're committed to your false teaching. Jesus recognizes the impact of false teaching. It's one of the most heartfelt, I think, warnings. You're making someone twice the son of hell by giving them false teaching. That's what the Antichrist does. And here he's given supernatural powers to the false prophet who will emphasize, yes, whatever the Antichrist is saying, he's right. Now, there's all kinds of people who've tried to identify who the false prophet is. I can tell you, we don't know. There's a lot of people who believe it's the Pope. I personally, that would say because of his false teaching, Catholicism does not teach the truth. Catholicism teaches a false way of salvation. Even today, there is a half-page article in the newspaper, for us who still read the newspaper, on how wonderful the Pope is, and he's in Canada, and he's making this great apology, but there's accolades for him. He's a worldwide religious leader who gets all kinds of accolades. Is it him? There's a good chance, but we don't know for certain. And anyone who says they know for certain doesn't know. The Bible just makes it very clear that he will be religious in nature because he's a prophet, and he's a false prophet, and he will deceive, deceive, trick. And then lastly, what we're going to look at today is this one. Okay. Is, uh, it's not going. Uh, Come on. Can you guys pump, move it? There we go. He will have supernatural power and image. And this is what we're going to get into next week. So go back into chapter 13. And and when we're looking at verse 15, he will have this image. And and this image, look at at verse 15. So that the image of the beast would speak and cause as many do, do not worship this image. And the word image, like an icon, we don't know what this is. But I tell you one thing that really hit me this week is the fact that when you look at this image, this is this is really key. Dr. Thomas in his commentary said this on the image. Here is the first of ten references. Now you mentioned something once it's important, but ten times it's really important. Here is the first of ten references to this image in Revelation. Following this Anarthris, and this is getting to the Greek, the rest of the reference have an article pointing back to this first mention. Whether this is an image of an emperor or a corn, coin or that of like a Caesar in Christ's time or a statue to which people must bow down, such as Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter three, it's not clear. Since the pattern of this demand for worship comes from Daniel nine, to Daniel three, four to six, the latter appears more probable. In John's day, the cities of Asia, Pergamum in particular, had temples erected for the worship of emperors. Why should this great ruler of the future not have a full-blown statue toward which the people could direct their worship? So that's a possibility. But I'm going to tell you something that really hit me this week. And I really had never caught it. You see at the end when it says that the image of the beast would even speak, however that's going to play out, and I know some people would think it's like a hieroglyphic or whatever, somehow he's going to be able to bring life to this. And again, remember we was in counterfeit, reproduce, look like God, who can bring life? God can bring life. They're going to be able to say, look, we created life and it's going to be able to speak and it's going to give the sense that it has life, whatever this image is. Again, part of the judgment upon people that God is allowing this to play on. But here's where I get really even more terrified. And if you don't worship the image of the beast, you're going to be killed Dr. Thomas, who is pre- precise beyond belief in his commentary, made this clear. I always looked at this and I thought, you don't worship the, the image, maybe soldiers come in and kill you. But he's indicated that it is the image that will have the ability to kill you. So I just want you to be aware of that, that this is incredibly powerful. So that somehow these images will be set up. And you talk about no ability to run and hide, which we'll get into the mark of the beast and the ability to control all buying and selling. These images, can you imagine being set up around the world? And if you don't bow down, you don't give it homage, you get killed. This is a surreal type, time of existence in the world. It is horrific, people. None of us want to be alive. Sadly, I can't imagine. Some of you might be alive. If the tribulation starts tonight, we don't know when this is all going to start. Some of you could be alive during this time. This is why I say you better come to Jesus. Jesus is God and man who died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. He offers up Himself today, forgiving your sin. But you must turn from loving your sin, loving false teaching, loving the wrong way, and say, I give my allegiance to you, Jesus. In faith I come to you. I believe you're Lord. I believe you're the God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords. That video that we showed at the beginning of this uh, service today was one that I should hope that everyone who's a believer, you, you, you are in love with Jesus. You, you pour your heart out into him. You know, we say you're saved by faith. It's because you're leaning on him. You're turning to him. You have a love for Jesus. You want to be with him, and you want to study his word. If that's not there, you know, then you are not in love with Jesus. And Jesus talks about if you love me, you obey me, and I don't want to make it cold-hearted, but there's a sense of a passion that you want to honor Jesus. And so I'm telling you, make sure you believe today and turn from your sin i beg you because today is the day of salvation some people amazingly are going to hear messages about the false prophet and are going to have to meet him face to face or see him on tv however that's going to be and they're going to have to go through this and by that time the majority of power of the false teaching is going to sweep the world it's going to be few and far between the number of people that get saved in the tribulation. And you say, well, that just doesn't seem right. But remember, God says, narrow is the path that leads to life. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. And one of the things that's really hit me over the past two weeks is I was dealing with someone who who was talking about the population numbers during the flood. And I went and I checked this. Because of a sinless world, because of a sinless world that, you know, hadn't had the long series of degradation when you know adam and eve sinned now it's sin has just started they think that within the first thousand years the world's population could have been four billion people four billion people why is that so, so significant it's because only eight were saved in the ark you put eight divided by four billion and it's infinitesimal I think in the tribulation, it's gonna be numbers like that. That's my, because the world is going to see the majority of people following this false prophet and then following the Antichrist. So I would tell you today yeah, I would get my acting gear. I would turn to Jesus. I would fall at his feet and worship him. And for us who are believers, we have to recognize and take a passage like this today and say, this isn't just, yes, it's just future. It, yes. I'm not going to be when the, when the false teacher the prophet comes but I'm learning about the importance of the fact that this is the way he's working today. He's working today. And it's sad because more and more people are more and more people are turning away from God. And I shared this with Brian and Ken before the service. I had something that left me numb today when I was eating my breakfast. I read the obituary pages every day. And this morning, if you get our newspaper and you get the obituary pages, the second page has about eight or nine obituaries. You know what hit me that I've never seen before? I, I can tell you this. I always see people who go to false churches, false religions, but I tell you, I think out of seven out of eight of them, no religious service at all. No religious service at all. Because God's not important. We're not even going to fake interest in God anymore. We're not even going to pretend that we care about God anymore. When I die, just throw me out. That's literally, you can just see, you read these, oh, he gave his body to science, or he's, you know, which doesn't mean, but there's no service, and no service, and no service, and no service, and I just kept reading it. No service, no service, no service. That's the world we live in. And people are spiritually dead. Today, not only do I ask for you to say, I'm going to be more committed to reading God's word, to protect myself doctrinally, but I want you to recognize our world has pushed God out and doesn't care in any way, shape, or form about him. And it's you who've got to be bold with the gospel and love and kindness. Ask people, what do you think about God? And then we are... Presuppositional in our apologetics here. We proclaim God. Yes, we can use evidences. That's fine. I believe the evidences are fine. But people are needing to hear about God. And what that means is you've got to say, I declare to you that there is a Savior. I declare to you that you're a sinner. You say, prove to me there's a God. I don't have to because it's not my job to prove that there's a God. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I just tell people about Jesus. And I tell them so that the Holy Spirit will convict them. Who's the one that's going to convert them? The Holy Spirit. I don't need to become argumentative. I don't need to get foaming at the mouth. I just need to tell them in love and kindness, turn to Jesus because as Ephesians 2 says, they're dead spiritually. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the word of God. And I pray that... We are protected here at Christian Fellowship Church. I pray that right now, everyone in our congregation is making a commitment to say, I want to honor God's word. I want to read God's word. I want to know God's word. Help me to put on the armor of God. Help me to be cognizant that Satan is aggressive and he's relentless. And help me to be cognizant that doctrine helps me fight him. And for anyone who doesn't know Jesus, may today be the day of their salvation. May they come to Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. Amen.